Hello and welcome in to a brand new edition of the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, TJ McBride from MileHighSports.com, and the Nuggets just got done getting yet another clutch win, this time on the road against the Minnesota Timberwolves. So we're going to get into all kinds of interesting takeaways from this game because this game was no lack of narratives to explore. So it's going to be a very fun, interesting, and um, I don't want to say speculative, but... I guess, prophetic kind of an episode of looking ahead at where this Nuggets team is at and what can come from this win. Before I go any further, I got to let you know that this podcast is presented by Indochino Men's Clothing and Roman. These are going to be great products that you'll hear more about throughout the show, so make sure you stick around and listen to the advertisement for each of them. But, like I said, we're going to get into this game. The Nuggets won 100-98 to in overtime over their division rival, Minnesota Tim. Wolves. The Nuggets are now 2-0 in their division and are 4-1 on the road, and they are 6-1, I believe, in clutch games. So the Nuggets' win profile is getting extremely, extremely interesting. So what we're going to get into is I'm first going to talk about a game recap. Kind of just hit some interesting points that I thought were notable. I don't like recapping the game. I'm not going to like try and go chronologically as to what happened. I kind of just want to paint a picture of what was important from the game. So I'm definitely going to be doing that. We will talk about some of the bigger takeaways and how it relates to the rest of the season, these macro takeaways that I like to do in the second segment. And then, as usual, we will get into some questions from listeners in the mailbag portion after the second break, and we will talk about what the Nuggets have coming up next. So, again, lots of fun stuff in this show, uh, but let's just dive into this game. And I think the place we have to start is at the very, very end, and that is with Nikola Jokic hitting his second straight game winner in a row. This is two nights after, not even two nights, because the Nuggets played in the middle of the day on Sunday. This was 40 hours after he hit a game winner against the Philadelphia 76ers at home. The Nuggets went on the road, played a matinee game on Sunday so that all the Eastern European countries could watch it at a regular time, and then Nikola Jokic went out there and hit a game winner over Carl Anthony Towns' outstretched hand in in overtime to give the Nuggets the two-point win. So once again, Nikola Jokic, man, I will talk a lot about his clutch play coming up, so I'm not going to get into it too much, but just make sure that if you've already gotten to this part of the podcast and you haven't read my article that is up on milehighsports.com right now about Nikola Jokic emerging as one of the most clutch players in the entirety of the National Basketball Association, make sure to start there first because I outline a ton of what I'm going to talk about in this show actually in the article itself because I found it so important to look at this uh, Nuggets team and why they've been so clutch and give Nikola Jokic that credit because he has been incredible as a clutch player. We'll get more into the nuances as to why he's been a clutch player and what he's accomplished later on, but I think the most symbolic portion of this game is looking at this Nuggets team through the lens of where they were at the very end of the 2017-18 season and then compare it to right now. Obviously, this Nuggets team is much further along. The stakes were not the same in this game, but the similarities between game 82 two years ago when the Nuggets lost to the Minnesota Timberwolves in the play-in game and eventually, um, you know, watch the Minnesota Timberwolves go to the playoffs instead of them. That game 
it has so many parallels to now. Lots of weirdness, lots of defensive matchups, some big burst scoring in terms of they weren't consistent scoring throughout the game, but there were those strong stretches. Game goes to overtime. Nikola Jokic gets the ball on the baseline on the left side of the court just as he did at the end of regulation in game 82. But instead of Taj Gibson getting the strip steal on him, Nikola Jokic hits the game-winning bucket over Carl Anthony Towns, the starting or you know the star center who is always kind of looked at as the other offensively minded center that is about as good as Nikola Jokic to some and then much worse to others. So that symbolism of seeing Nikola Jokic in the exact same spot that he had missed a game-winning shot that uh, that would have allowed the Nuggets to go to the playoffs, now to see him on that exact same spot on the floor in the exact same arena against the exact same team and then hit it it just was a very cool moment to see, and it really spoke to the progression that this Denver Nuggets team has had. The fact that Nikola Jokic was still finding himself, you know, 18 months ago, 597 days, I believe is what it was, ago, to where he is now, it's just crazy how much he has grown from where the expectations were back then. So I thought that was a really cool moment. To see Jokic hit his second straight game winner was really cool, and, to see, and the way that he got it was awesome. Uh, the other really interesting segment of this game was from the 637 mark or whatever it is of the first or the fourth quarter through the first minute and a half of overtime the nuggets did not score a single point not that they didn't score a bucket they did not score a single point no free throws no technical free throws no layups no nothing they literally did not score for 8 minutes of basketball and somehow the nuggets were able just to get it to overtime so that they could snap back into it thanks to Will Barton hitting a shot and Nikola Jokic having an and one to be able to stem the tide just enough to win this game. But the Nuggets were up by like 15 at one point. All of a sudden, the lead was just gone because the Nuggets could not score. I believe it was a 19-0 run over that eight-minute stretch for the Minnesota Timberwolves, and it gave them a lead in overtime at one point, and the Nuggets were on the brink of losing this game in absolutely epic fashion. I spoke about Philadelphia's complete collapse in the fourth quarter against the Nuggets when they played a couple days ago, but this would have been the same match magnitude of a collapse in my opinion but somehow the Nuggets stemmed the tide they were able to play good enough defense they were able to stop turning the ball over once they got to overtime they finally started hitting some three-pointers and it it won them the game but during that stretch what was so weird was that well not even weird because this is literally um, exactly what has been plaguing the Nuggets during the regular season as it has been so far but the Nuggets could not hit any layups they missed their open three-pointers they were turning the ball over like crazy they had 10 turnovers in the fourth quarter alone this Nuggets team had completely lost its grasp on the game from that six and a half minute on and if it wasn't for the fact that they played just good enough defense they would not have had an opportunity to win this game but somehow they survived that 19-0 run and despite that ridiculous run that they allowed they find a way to win this game. It speaks to the Nuggets' resiliency. It speaks to the fact that they never feel like they're out of a game. So, just it was just a bizarre thing to see for a Nuggets team that is as talented as they are offensively not score for eight minutes, not to even get to the free throw line, to have ten turnovers. That was just, it was the most bizarre stretch of basketball I can remember, I can remember from this Nuggets offense, and it was a disaster, but a disaster they were able to get through and still win the game. There were three other big reasons, in my opinion, that the Nuggets won this game outside of Nikola Jokic just hitting his game winning shot. 
spot, which of course is the reason the Nuggets won this game. No one's going to argue that. But if you go backwards a little bit, there were other things that had to happen for the Nuggets to be able to survive long enough or have the boost that, that they got from particular players to get to that point. And I think if we're going to start in chronological order, Paul Millsap's third quarter was so important. Again, the Nuggets' fourth quarter was a disaster, but their third quarter was not going well either. The offense was in a funk. People were not moving. Uh, Jamal Murray leaves the game with a foot injury, a left foot injury, which I'll talk about more in a little bit. Uh, Malik Beasley has said that he is not going to be coming back in because he is having an illness issue. And Nikola Jokic was in foul trouble. And the Nuggets were just looking that they were going to be dead in the water. And then suddenly... Paul Millsap puts down a hammer of a dunk. I mean, a poster on Jake Lehman, I believe. And that started a 14-point third quarter for Paul Millsap that eventually gave the Nuggets the lead. That was huge. Without Paul Millsap understanding that there was no one to pick up the slack, that he needed to be the guy, that changed everything for Denver in this game. And it was really impressive that he could go from having zero points in the first half to just we're gonna. I'm gonna put 14 on the board. I'm gonna do it in a big way. We're gonna build energy. We're gonna keep the defense strong, and we're gonna extend a lead. And that is exactly what Paul Millsap did. So without Paul Millsap's third quarter, the Nuggets do not have a chance to even get to overtime. Same thing said. It can be said for Jeremy Grant's the start of the fourth quarter. The first three minutes of the fourth quarter, Jeremy Grant was on the floor. He had seven points. He had a three, had a couple buckets go into the rim, and he also had a big assist for Tor- to Torrey Craig for a three-pointer as well. And that was all in a three-minute span. So that 10 points that he was able to build or manufacture were huge, to, again, to be able to let the Nuggets stem the tide. Because once Jeremy Grant left the court and he got to that six-and-a-half-minute mark after Gary Harris hit that last three, the Nuggets' offense fell apart. So if it wasn't for the fact that Jeremy Grant was so strong to start the fourth quarter, the Nuggets would not have been able to hold on for this win. Also, a little bit of a tangent here, but the Nuggets have been using Jeremy Grant more as a creator in the past couple games, and I think it's done a lot for his confidence. I think since Jeremy Grant is not figuring out exactly where his spot is with this Nuggets team yet, just giving him the ball and saying go, that's a fantastic way to try and find a way to get him a rhythm. The rest of the bench unit's already struggling, so what are you losing out on? What are you taking touches away from Mason Plumley, who was very bad in this game? The Nuggets aren't playing offense through Torrey Craig. Malik Beasley has been a disaster this year, and Monte Morris has not been the same version of himself and could use somebody who can take the pressure off of him. Jeremy Grant has been acting as a creator more and I like those looks a lot more than using him as an off-ball player for now. Jeremy Grant is a better off-ball player and a finisher than he is a creator. I am not saying the Nuggets should be running him as a pick-and-roll initiator repeatedly throughout the season. What I'm saying is right now, while the Nuggets bench unit is in a funk and they need Jeremy Grant to find a rhythm and find a spot, let him play with the ball in his hands more. Give him a Pascal Siakam-type role off the bench to where he is basically just acting as the main initiator or the secondary initiator to the offense, gets off ball, and then becomes a finisher after that. Just get him into that rhythm. And the Nuggets did that tonight, and it was a big part of it. The last big part of why the Nuggets were able to win this game outside of Nikola Jokic's uh, game-winning jumper is Barton's overtime period. I spoke on the last podcast about how hyper-important Will Barton's skill set is to getting the most out of this Denver Nuggets team, and you saw it in this game. Will Barton was missing shots early on. Don't get me wrong. That's absolutely the truth, but the spacing is so much better with Will Barton on the floor because you have to defend him at the three-point line, and you have to understand that he is a good cutter. On top of that, when things get struck, 
start to struggle for Jamal Murray like they did in the second, third, and fourth quarter of this game, Will Barton was able to run the offense and be somebody who can be relied upon for a steady hand as the initiator. So when you look at Will Barton's stat line, sure, 5 of 16 is not good, but the whole damn team couldn't make shots tonight. Will Barton also had five assists against two turnovers, one of which was extremely questionable and could have not have been. And he kept the ball moving. The, <laughs> this is how important he was. And I'll, I'll probably end up reiterating this later in the podcast. Michael Malone said during his postgame press conference that at the last play of the game, when Nikola Jokic hit his baseline jumper to win the game, Michael Malone elected to give the ball to Will Barton to initiate the set, not Jamal Murray, who was having a lot of turnover issues at that time. So that says everything about the trust that Michael Malone has in Will Barton and about where Will Barton's skills lie for this night. Nuggets team. So seeing him become an initiator like that again, seeing him have 12 rebounds in this game, including three gigantic rebounds in overtime, um, two of which arguably saved the game for the Nuggets, was huge. He also had two steals in this game, really made his presence felt on defense, and then had 13 points as well, including six of those points coming in the overtime period. Will Barton's overtime period was massive, having those six points and those two and those three big rebounds, and then to be the guy to set up Jokic for the game winner. Man, what a good game from Will Barton. Let's continue. I'm, I'm talking for too long about these things, so I need to kind of quicken it up. But Denver's defense, again, was awesome in this game. And don't get me wrong. They're not like the number one defense in basketball great. But when they need to lock down, they absolutely can. They have great stretches, which allow their team to be able to have a little bit of a breathing room. The defense is, is the reason the Nuggets are 7-2 and two right now and have the best record in the Western Conference tied with the Lakers. So this Denver defense, it may not be... 48 minutes of complete and other smothering and slaughtering of the opposing offense, but they are absolutely op- opportunistic and they are productive in their own way, and it's a very functional way that they're going about it. The Wolves tonight missed the third most threes in NBA history. They missed 39 three-pointers. Yes, some of them were open three-pointers they missed. I'm not going to sit here and say that the Nuggets are the reason they missed all of those three-pointers, but the Nuggets are absolutely a big part of why this happened. They were closing out like crazy. Nikola Jokic had three or four closeouts in which I thought he was going to fall over. He launched himself towards the corner so actively trying to get a big contest up. The Nuggets were making multiple efforts on defense all night, and that's what Michael Malone is always begging his team to do. So the fact that the Nuggets were able to go out there and win this game and hold the hold the Timberwolves to, what was it, uh, 35% shooting from the field and 6 of 45 from 3, that's incredible for this Nuggets team. Also, Carl Anthony Towns took 14 threes in this game. Him and Andrew Wiggins were 4 of 20 from 3 just between the two of them. So what a bizarre game. I mean, I know they like to run and play with pace, but they were just launching from 3. But credit to the Nuggets. And again... This stat that Christopher Dempsey put out that was, I think, from the Nuggets stat guy or Dempsey did a whole lot of legwork to get this stat, but since 1999, the Nuggets are 17 and 150 in games that they shoot 40% or worse. This year, in games where they shoot 40% or worse, they're 3-0. and That tells you everything about where this Denver Nuggets team is at. They held the Wolves to 13 points in the third quarter on 4 of 15 shooting. They have, they have the best fourth quarter defense or third quarter defense 
in the NBA, and they held that up again tonight. Uh, last two things real quick. Michael Porter Jr. is still a rookie, and it was so clear in this game. I'll talk about where he stands in the rotation after this next break, but it was so clear to me that right now, Michael Porter Jr. is still finding his way on this offense and finding his way on the defense. He gave up three offensive rebounds in his first stint. He got lost a bunch on um, off the ball on offense and defense, whether it was getting beat for a backdoor cut, not finding his guy to box out, whatever it may be. And on offense, he kind of just stood around a couple too many times. He would slash into the, into the lane for post-ups when guys are driving. He wouldn't just space to the corner. There was just very clear rookie mistakes where he didn't look like he really knew where he was supposed to be yet. Uh, he did have a hell of a dunk on a great off-ball cut on a give-and-go with uh, Mason Plumley and had a good off uh, an off-ball catch-and-shoot three-pointer. So overall, he had a pretty good game, but it wasn't anything magnificent, and you saw that he was definitely a rookie. I'll be talking more about Michael Porter Jr. in the next break, so I am going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in the next segment for some bigger-picture takeaways from a 10,000-foot perspective of this Nuggets team. best of the best when it comes to getting custom tailored clothing for men's of all different size that's the thing is that like i'm not very tall and i'm not exactly a normal shape of a human being so for me to get these custom tailored clothing from indochino is incredible and if you live in colorado you have the benefit of being able to go to their cherry creek location get your measurements done in person get your hands on all of the fabric and all the different designs that they make and really get a good idea of what they have in addition to that you can even check out rj barrett's pink suit he wore to the draft or all the formal wear he's been wearing for tunnel walks and other events. These are all Indochino, Indochino clothing and blazers and suits. So let me tell you about this. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more, and everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit. Plus, you get to personalize all the details, including your, your lapel lining and your own monogram. So this is how you can get in and get a great deal by listening to this show. Right now, you can get $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is entirely free. That's Indochino.com using the promo code BLUEWIRE for $30 off your purchase of $399 or more. It's an incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse to be wearing clothing that doesn't fit anymore. what this win means for the Nuggets team in the grand scheme of things, not just for the immediate victory that they had, there are some interesting takeaways to be had, and none were more important than the fact that Nikola Jokic now is inarguably one of the most clutch players in the NBA. And this is not a small sample size this year. I'm talking over the last, this year and last year combined, Nikola Jokic has been arguably the most clutch player in the NBA, if not one of the most. He's right up there. I don't think you can argue that he's anywhere lower than top five. That's how good he has been statistically. So this year, he has the second most 
total clutch shots made in the NBA. He is 12 of 20 from the field. Kyrie Irving has two more while shooting a much worse perspective. By the way, before I go any further, let me define what clutch is to the um, in terms of the stats part of it. Uh, Clutch game record is games that were decided by five points or less. In terms of the stats that are accumulated, the stats only accumulate when the game is within five points and there's five minutes or less in the fourth quarter or overtime. So that's how they build it. So if it's all of a sudden a six-point game with two minutes left, there are no longer clutch stats that are accounted for. But if it gets back down to four, then the clock starts again. So that if just so people have an idea of what's going on. So, taking that into account, right now, Nikola Jokic has a plus 22.8 net rating in clutch situations, which is a ridiculous number. I mean, plus 22.8 is unheard of. He has a 115.1 offensive rating and a 92.3 defensive rating. Of course, Nikola Jokic has only played, what, 35 minutes this year in clutch situations, that's fine. I'm not trying to argue through that. That, that, It is what it is. Um, That's a small sample size. I get it. So let's go back and look at what Nikola Jokic did last year in clutch situations, in which he played like 135 minutes. In those minutes, Nikola Jokic has a plus 23.5 net rating. He had a 90.3 defensive rating and a 113.8 offensive rating. So think about how similar those are. I'm going to say these again just so people grasp how similar these numbers really, really are because it's, it's easy to look over it when I'm saying it. The plus or his overall net rating is only 0.7 points less than it was last year. His defensive rating is two points worse than it was last year, and his offensive rating is 1.3 points worse than last year. That is such marginally small differences, which means, in my opinion, you can look at this and say, this is sustainable. This is exactly what it was last year. There is a sample size to this situation. Right now, in in 29 minutes of clutch situation, Nikola Jokic has 29 points on 12 of 20 shooting, has had both of his threes, has 10 rebounds, and 8 assists. He has been incredible. Last year in clutch situations, his per 36 numbers were 24.7 points, 10.7 rebounds, and 8.1 assists, which was basically the same stat line he put up during the playoffs. He has been that good in clutch situations. Let's take it a step further now. As I wrote in my article that's up on Mile High Sports right now about Nikola Jokic's clutch play, if you the, the most overly simplistic way to define a clutch player in my mind is who has had the most game-winning shots. Like I know it sounds overly simplistic because some get more, some get less, whatever, but it's the it's the casual way of looking at it. But even if you look at this from a non-advanced analytical side of it, which Nikola Jokic is owning, by the way, he also has the most game-winning shots since the start of last season. He has six since the start of last season, including his two this year. Paul George is in second place with four. So in terms of just raw most shots made, he's second in the league this year and first in the in just overall clutch shots. And he is uh, number one since last year in just made shots to win games. So that's incredible in its own right. You know what? I want to take it a step further because I'm crazy. And if you follow me on Twitter, you just saw this. I went back and dug through all this, all the game logs, Nikola Jokic is only the third player since 2010 to have back-to-back game-winning shots. Manu Ginobili did it in 2010 on December 15th and 16th. Damian Lillard did it in 2013, also on December 15th, but December 17th. Now Nikola Jokic becomes the third player since 2010. 
Also, this is the other thing that I forgot to mention as well. Last year, the Nuggets led the league in, cl- in clutch wins. They were 31-13 and 13 in their 44 games decided by 5 points or less. This year, the Nuggets are 6-1 and one in those games. So the Nuggets continually keep showing that this is absolutely something that they are able to sustain so far. We have, what is it, 82, we have um, we have 90 games of a sample size, not including the playoffs, and this is what they have been able to do. So it's going to be interesting to see how it develops over the years, but as of right now, the Nuggets are one of the most clutch teams in basketball, and Nikola Jokic is one of the clutch players in basketball. All right, that's enough about clutch stuff in Nikola Jokic. Let's talk about Jamal Murray's injury because I find this extremely important. Um, obviously, Jamal Murray has taken a gigantic leap forward this year. He has become the Nuggets leader that they need. He has become a much more consistent player ever since that Pelicans game. And he's been buying into defensive abilities. He's been a great passer recently. And when he started this game in the first quarter, he looked to continue all of that. He was 6 of 9 from the field in the first quarter, had 15 points, had an assist, had a couple rebounds, and was just great. You kept watching, you were like, damn, like this is the leap that people thought he was going to take. He starts to tail off a bit in the second quarter, doesn't do a whole lot, few rebounds and assists, no points scored. Um, Then, at the very start of the third quarter, I'm talking 50 seconds in, he leaves the game with what is eventually called, I believe, a left foot um, soreness is what they called it. So Jamal Murray proceeds to sit out until the halfway point of the third quarter. He comes back in the game for a few minutes, has a drive down the baseline in which he normally would have tried to dunk it, and he couldn't quite get up, and it didn't look right trying to get to the rim, and Michael Malone immediately pulled him for Monte Morris. From that point forward, I just assumed that he wasn't going to play anymore, but somehow Jamal Murray convinced uh, Michael Malone to put him back in for the fourth quarter in overtime. So Jamal Murray just despite the left foot injury, played 35 minutes tonight. The issue is, is that after going 6 of 9, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> Ooh. after going 6 of 9 in the first quarter, he then proceeded to go 0 of 10 in the last three quarters, and he had 6 of his 7 turnovers in those three quarters. Jamal Murray suddenly was not able to function as a player anymore. He tried his ass off. There was no faulting his effort here, but his body had failed him in this game. That's why it looked like his shot wasn't functioning anymore. He wasn't able to get to the rim. His defense took a step backwards. He was making a lot of careless turnovers, and that's the biggest reason why Michael Malone put the ball in Will Barton's hand to close this game out, because that was the person who could actually initiate offense, because at this point, Jamal Murray could not. So that's It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Jamal Murray seemed to be in high spirits after the game, and in a very typical Jamal Murray sense, when asked how his his, uh, foot was, he just said fine, and then provided no more insight into what happened. So Jamal Murray will try and keep playing, but I think it would be wise of the Nuggets to rest him for a couple games. The Nuggets do not need a banged-up Jamal Murray. As Michael Malone said at Media Day, the Nuggets are preparing for a 110-game season, not an 82-game season. So how they handle Jamal Murray's interesting I am very curious about and the Nuggets will have practice tomorrow morning about 12 hours from right now with me doing this podcast so maybe we'll get some new light shed on what is going on but as of right now Jamal Murray's injury did not keep him out of the game but it did make him significantly worse also I spoke about Will Barton's importance quite a bit on this podcast and the last one already but I wanted to hit it again because Will Barton again this what he's able to do as an offensive player is what has allowed the Nuggets offense to get back on track when Torrey Craig was starting it just didn't work full stop the Nuggets offense fell apart 
ever since Will Barton came back into the lineup, even if shots still aren't falling, the fluidity of the Nuggets offense is entirely back. The Nuggets are having more fun. The assist totals are climbing. I mean, you see the spacing function. Nikola Jokic is hitting cutters again for assists. The, the lane isn't entirely clogged. Will Barton is on a hell of a job in his game. And on top of that, his defense has been fucking superb, man. Like, I am so surprised that Will Barton has this gear of his defensive ability. I always knew he could be a decent defender because of the athletic gifts he has, but this is an entirely different gear than that. So to see him doing this is really, really impressive. By the way, Michael Porter Jr. seems like he is in the rotation now. Torrey Craig once again played two minutes at the end of the first quarter, and then here comes Michael Porter Jr. because Torrey Craig was not functioning at a high level once again off of the bench as a small forward. His defense has not been good. He is not hitting shots, although he did have a three tonight. That was important, but overall he has not been able to be relied upon. And the, what made this confusing is that Malik Beasley ended up being out of this game with an illness. So M Michael Porter Jr. and Torrey Craig ended up playing together off the bench. But what it looks like to me is that Michael Porter Jr. is inches away from passing Torrey Craig in this rotation because Michael Malone knows that this bench unit needs more spacing and they need more scoring. So I have a feeling that Michael Porter Jr. is now in the rotation, even if that means Michael Malone has opened it up to 11 guys, which is very, very interesting after Michael Malone had said he wanted to stick to 10 so but still I always thought this was inevitable just because you have to play Michael Porter Jr. He spoke about it at media day and here it is you know playing out in real time so it looks like the Nuggets now have a have an 11 man rotation. I think the other big takeaway from this game in my opinion is that the Nuggets are just back to having fun. That's so important for this Nuggets team. Some people may say that you shouldn't require joy to be a good basketball team but with this Nuggets team, with how young they are, that is important. With the fact that Nikola Jokic is their best player and the fulcrum of everything that they do, you need to have a sense of joy in the game, and that seems to be returning in a big way. Despite the fact that the Nuggets only shot 38% from the field tonight, despite the fact that they just had the, had 20 turnovers once again, despite all those things, I don't even care about those things. The Nuggets look like they're having fun. I don't care how, how anecdotal that is. That's a very important part of this Nuggets development as a team for how their season has gone. They looked miserable to start the season, but all that joy seems to be returning. Last thing before we take our last break and get into some answers for listeners from question is I want to explain how big of a win this is for the Nuggets. First of all, there are the most important type of a win in the NBA, in my opinion, is division wins on the road because those are wins you do not expect to get and they're ones that are highly impactful for your ability to get a better seeding of tiebreakers come into play. So not only did the Nuggets go into Minnesota and beat the Timberwolves, but that's a division opponent they beat. They also did it without Malik Beasley, with Jamal Murray getting hurt, with Jokic having foul trouble while shooting 38.6% from the field, having 20 turnovers, and that's incredible. That that is a that is absolutely a loss in every sense of the word. If I read that list to you of things that happened in this game, you would have told me the Nuggets lost by 15. And yet here they are with a win, a win that they probably would not have been able to account for before. This is a gigantic win. Being able to steal division wins on the road like this is huge for playoff seeding. I'm going to take a quick break and we will come back and answer some questions from listeners.
brush it off or blame ourselves by saying things like, I lost my mojo, or we just avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It is simple, safe, and entirely discreet. The doctor will work with you to find the best possible treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you for, with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is also simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with the doctor to take care of it. Just go to roman.com slash bluewire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's getroman.com slash bluewire for a free visit to get started. Getroman.com slash bluewire. get into what everybody knows is my favorite segment of this show and that is answering questions from listeners and nuggets fans alike to be able to try to provide a little bit of a different insight into what potentially could be happening because i might miss things because i am usually dumber than i should be so we're gonna let the fans be able to provide some of the talking points of this podcast as i usually do so make sure you respond to all those things on twitter and all that shit so we can get questions in but Let's dive into it. Omar asks, what is the solution for the Nuggets bench? Honestly, if you're going to play Mason Plumley and Jeremy Grant as much as you are, you have to play Michael Porter Jr. instead of Torrey Craig. And this is the thing. I really like Torrey Craig. Anybody who's read my work or followed me for the past few years knows that I really think Torrey Craig is a helpful NBA player on most NBA teams. But what the Nuggets need, Torrey Craig does not provide right now. And that's the unfortunate truth of what is happening. It's not that Torrey Craig is bad and Michael Porter Jr. is good. That is not what is happening. It's that the Nuggets need a multifaceted offensive player to open the floor so their offense can operate off the bench as opposed to a defensive specialist who has not been able to operate well defensively defensively this year in the role that he has. So while it's not all entirely Torrey Craig's fault, if this Nuggets bench wants to get back on track, they got to get Michael Porter Jr. on the floor. They got to get Monte Morris to have more weapons out there and more spacing to work with. And they just need shots to fall. I know it just seems so simple, but I'm going to have an article up as soon as I can finish it about Monte Morris and Malik Beasley speaking to me about the bench unit struggles and how they just need shots to fall. That's really what it comes down to. So we'll have to just wait and see if that's really what plays out in live time. But as of right now, the bench does not look good and that's going to be an issue. Joe Daniel asks from Twitter asks, can we admit that Barton has become the second most important player on this team or is at least tied with Murray? I don't agree with this. I don't think that you're off base. I get what you're saying and I fully understand the idea behind it, but this Nuggets team is completely built around Nikola Jokic, but Jamal Murray is the gasoline that is tossed on top of the fire to make this Nuggets team that much more of an inferno. So, it's not that Will Barton is the second most important player on the team. He's not. But the way that he has played has been the third most, has made him the third most important on the team so far. Just the difference of having Torrey Craig and Will Barton just on the floor, regardless of how they're shooting or playing, the skill set difference has entirely opened up the floor for the Denver Nuggets in a way that they did not have before. And having him out there makes him, in my opinion, the third most important player because his skill set, the archetype of player that he is, 
is so instrumental to allowing this Nuggets offense to operate in the way that it was built to operate. So I get it. I think that you're on the right page, but I wouldn't say he's second most. I would say he's third most. Uh, Spo asked, how the hell are the Nuggets 7-2? and two? I don't have a definitive answer here, but this allows me to talk about something else. The Nuggets are 7-2. and two. They are tied for the best record in the Western Conference. They are 4-1 and one on the road. They are 2-0 and oh in their division. And they have not played anywhere near their best yet. That sounds bad in one context, and it's also incredible in another. Imagine if things do click for this Nuggets team, which it seems like they're on the path towards. If the Nuggets finally have layups fall, if all of a sudden their open threes start to connect, if all of a sudden all of those things are added on to this extremely strong defensive performance and this resiliency, then yes, it is a very good thing that the Nuggets won dirty and won ugly like this for the first nine games of the season so that they can take the league by storm once they finally hit the ground running. On the other end, maybe there are some very clear issues that have not been addressed that have been hidden because the Nuggets have seven wins. We can't say for sure which is the true statement because we have to wait and see how things play out. But I would make the argument that the Nuggets have shown great defensive fortitude. They have a ton of resiliency and they have the offensive fluidity functioning right now and in the past couple games, the shots just aren't falling yet. I thought the Nuggets shots that they were getting tonight were really, really good outside of that fourth quarter stretch. So I do think that this Nuggets team will get back on track. But, at, but right now, again, best record in the in the Western Conference. They lead the Northwest Division. They're 2-0 in division games. They're 4-1 on the road. And they are, and then they have three teams come up that they're probably going to beat. So the Nuggets could suddenly find themselves at 10-2 despite all of this, which would be a hell of a start. Actually, a better start than they had last year. So, I mean, let's just finish it out this way. The Nuggets play the Hawks and the Nets at home for their next two games before playing the Grizzlies on the road. The Nuggets could really be 10-2 and and beat their 9-3 and start from last season despite all of the chaos they have been a part of. So I, I think that it is weird that they're 7-2 and despite how bad they're playing, but I think the wins are still going to keep coming, which is very, very encouraging for this Nuggets team. Lenny Brown asks, should we be concerned with the eight minutes without a point? Is it a sign of offensive ineptitude or an isolated incident? I would like to say it's an isolated incident, but the Nuggets haven't been able to hit open threes since the playoffs last year. So I really don't know what the fuck is happening when it comes to their shooting. I, I, I don't have an idea. And when I ask anybody on the team, they all say the same thing. Shots are going to fall. We're getting the right shots. The shots are going to fall. They just haven't fallen, and I don't know how to be able to explain this any better. The Nuggets could catch a rhythm as a team and just destroy people, potentially. But as of right now, I don't know why their offense is struggling so much. So I do think it's an isolated incident. I do think the Nuggets are getting the right kind of uh, shots they want. I think their offense is functioning much better the last four games than they did the first three or four or whatever it is now. Five games, actually. Um, But overall... I, I don't have an answer. It's too hard for me to figure it out right now. We don't have enough of a sample size. I need to see more and see if the Nuggets have made schematic differences to their team that have led to them struggling so much, or if this is just they're getting into a, ryth- a rhythm at the start of the season. Uh, last question is from Mitch. Can you think of a less deserving victory? I... I get it why you asked this. I think you're entirely wrong. I think the fact that the Nuggets played such great defense, showed the resiliency, and had the star power to overcome and have a late game execution in overtime on on the road makes us a very deserving victory. It may have been an ugly win, but it was a win. 
that's all I got. I'll be back soon. Probably after probably after practice tomorrow if it's really important. If not, we'll talk after the after the Hawks game. Um, but until then, thank you so much for listening to the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast. This is this show has been brought to you by Roman and brought to you by. Indochino menswear. It's also a great place. They have a great spot in Cherry Creek, by the way, if you live in Colorado and you feel like going to go check out their store in person as opposed to just trying to order online. It's a good-looking store. So make sure to make your way out there. Uh, thanks to Terrapin and Care Station and the Regulators Production Group for putting the beats together and then for, for supporting this show. Make sure to keep leaving those five-star reviews. Make sure to keep leaving uh, comments on the show. Make sure to keep sharing it on social media. But until next time, we will talk to you guys later. Since 2010, Terrapin Care Station has been providing patients and customers with high-quality cannabis products at everyday low prices. Serving the communities of Denver, Boulder, and Aurora, they offer their own flour and concentrates, as well as all the brands you love at prices that you just won't believe. They pride themselves in having the most knowledgeable and professional staff in the industry, and their team will work with you one-on-one to help you find the products that are perfect for you. Their dispensaries are unassuming, safe, and discreet, with ample parking at every location for a scene retail experience for up-to-date menus and promotions head over to www.terrapincarestation.com or just come visit one of their five convenient colorado locations today again that is terrapincarestation.com t-e-r-r-a-p-i-n carestation.com